welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hey everyone, I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today. We're excited to bring you another in our series of interviews with top leaders in health IT. We're here at the AI4 conference and we're here with Vincent Major. He's assistant professor at NYU School of Medicine. Welcome, Vincent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm excited to, to learn about AI in healthcare. Mm -hmm. I mean, people love to talk about it, but you're doing some practical research on it. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Yeah, so I am an assistant professor in population health uh, at GNS Center for Innovation. Um, and I also have a sort of uh, IT role where I lead uh, efforts to integrate AI into the EHR. Um, there's some very technical aspects of that which we can get into. Uh, sure. um, there's also sort of just doing what we can do and making the most of it, which is really fun. Yeah, absolutely. So where are we really seeing AI, machine learning, all of those categories, you know, analytics, mm -hmm. impacting care? Yeah, so uh, at NYU, we have AI models that are starting to touch almost every major application in our Epic system. Um, I think in the last couple of years, we've seen some really great work uh, where we're targeting nurses in mm. a variety of ways. Um, I think one that comes to mind is a uh, one of the COVID models that we went live with, this, this is a real-time model, runs in, runs in Epic. Um, and it, it was sort of to supplement with maybe the goal of replacing <laughs> um, a tool that was uh, developed by uh, nurses at one, one of our campuses. It's basically a 1 to 13 scale based on uh, what kind of care that patient is needing. Um, and it allows the nurses to communicate you know, within each other uh, to their, their colleagues about you know how ill is this patient right now okay. um, but by only taking in a few different variables it, it can only be so um, you know, so so powerful sure um, and so uh, by making an AI model to do a very sort of similar task we can describe patients basically on a sort of a color scale um, and with a number attached and it mm. can be used as well to sort of prioritize um, how many nurses are, are on that day, or how you um, prioritize the process of handing off when one nurse is leaving for the day sure. and another is coming. You know, giving a little bit of extra attention um, to some of those higher risk patients. Um, and it's not always that the, one, uh, the patients that are the most ill right now, it's the ones that are sort of in the middle mm. that uh, really could decline in, in the coming 12 hours or so. Um, and another nurse one that's uh, really cool, uh, we went live with this uh, earlier this year. Uh, we have, um, through Epic, something called MyChart, which is the, the patient portal. And lots of patients send messages in. Uh, they think they're sending them to the doctor, <laughs> uh, but they actually, a lot of them end up at basically a call center. Right. So there's, there's these very large pools of messages, mm -hmm. you know, like a giant shared inbox. Yeah. Uh, and there's a team of RNs that actually work those messages, triage them, and then mm -hmm. uh, sort of delegate them into different pool, uh, other pools uh, to be worked. And one of the main things that we wanted to target, uh, that was sort of our, uh, our pilot, was the messages that require an immediate callback. Mm. So something in the message that was really worrisome, like chest pain, or something that was really time sensitive. Um, and so, Basically what we do is, as when the model runs, a score is made, 
Um, and typically the nurses triage the, the first pool in the order in which they, the messages arrive. So right. old messages sure. are, are the next to be done. So we float those high acuity ones to the top, make sure that a nurse sees them. If they agree that they need to call that patient, uh, the callback happens you know, right. much more quickly than normal. Very interesting. Hmm. Now you said mentioned real time. Like, mm -hmm. how real time are we? Is is this all embedded in the Epic system, or yep. or do you have to batch the data from other mm -hmm. sources? Or you know, how real time are we really today? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Epic has a lot of data um, that is available in real time, but it can be a bit more difficult to get. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there are things like you can do reporting workbench reports. Mm -hmm. um, and so the uh, Epic product uh, that allows for AI models to run in the cloud is called Nebula. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the ways that you can do that is by basically providing a reporting workbench report, which can be run whenever and how, how, however often you want it. Um, and then that data is basically sent up into the cloud as a payload, the model runs, the, the scores come back. So if you can get your inputs to the model in that kind of reporting workbench report, we can do things in real time. Mm. Um, the standard way is you, you batch that report, you schedule it, say every 15 minutes or okay. 30 minutes, as we did for the COVID models we worked on. Um, but depending on what the use case is, there are actually uh, sort of trigger points. Mm. So as soon as an action is taken, say an order is signed, um, or a patient is admitted, for example, or moved around in the ED, uh, there's a little sort of like a, a little function that runs, it's called an extension, that then runs the model for that one patient right then. Gotcha. So that's about as real time as you can get. Um, so we've done a couple of those, um, which is one for the in-basket messages I was just describing, and we're also working on one right now in, in the ED. So as soon as triage is marked complete, mm -hmm. you know, boom, yeah, the score is made, um, which, is, which is really cool. If you can't get your data in that shape, um, you know, because it's fundamentally, it's, it's a report, it's a table. Sure. Um, you know, there are, there are character limits, so you can't have like long clinical notes, okay. for example. Um, it's also really hard if you want to do like, give me the last year of this patient's history, like all the diagnosis uh, codes, okay. or all of the different A1Cs that this patient's had, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of time series stuff. It doesn't really fit that, you know, tabular representation. So if we need to do anything like that, we end up uh, doing our implementation outside of Epic. Okay. Um, so sometimes that's an allowable sort of delay in real time. Say we wait until the next day at sure. eight or nine, that allows us to use uh, other Epic databases like Clarity or Caboodle that are updated every night. Gotcha. And it's way easier to run SQL <laughs> uh, to say, you know, get me all these labs. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so that, that's a big trade-off, and I think part of my role here, um, you know, because there's a big team of data scientists um, in, the, in the, the team that I'm part of, the Brickland Analytics Unit, um, having a few people in the team know how we can implement things helps us steer the whole team towards, let's make sure we're not going down a path that we can't implement. Yeah. You know, if the stakeholders say this needs to be real time, or say hourly at the mm -hmm. late, at the slowest, there's just certain data we can't get that enables yep. that. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what are the data? I mean, it's not, obviously you have EHR data that mm -hmm. we talked about. Are there other data you wish you had? And what do you think mm -hmm. are the most common data that are being mm -hmm. used in the models you're working on mm -hmm. now? 
Yeah, so at NYU, uh, we have uh, Epic products for almost everything, which mm -hmm. is, I, as I understand it, a little bit unique. There's a couple of things that we don't use the Epic product, but overall we're Epic everywhere, uh, which makes things a bit simpler. So, so our bread and butter for data science is um, patient information. You know, mm -hmm. we're talking about uh, vitals, flow sheets, lab results, orders, procedures, uh, clinical notes, radi radiology notes. Um, that's the sort of core bread and butter stuff. Most of those we can uh, gather at a large scale from databases like right. Caboodle. We slightly prefer a clarity, um, which makes it really easy to you know get going on a, on a new project. Um, I think some of the really interesting things that we're we're brainstorming on is how we can get access to data that comes from sort of auxiliary systems that we use. Like the ERP or lab systems or? So our lab systems is all, is all through Epic, it's so all that Epic, should so be good fine. That's, that's easy for you. That's relatively <laughs> easy, right? Um, I was thinking more about like the little devices in the, in mm. the, in, at the bedside. Sure. You know, the medication pumps, the telemetry monitors, even things like uh, EKGs or right. um, you know longer term heart monitors, mm -hmm. um, they are all products that we that we purchase, um, and the data, some of the data becomes available to us that's documented, you know, sure. by, by the clinical team, right. say vitals every hour, every four hours, but uh, say the Philips machines, they have the vitals Constantly. every minute, right? <laughs> yeah. So I really wish we could tap into that in a way that uh, isn't it goes to their database and then we have to work out some kind of licensing agreement to sure. then pull it down. That means we can never get to real time. Yeah. Um, I've seen some interesting work from other places that uh, basically use some middleware mm. to, to tap into that That's stream. Um, it's not something that we're doing right now, but strongly considering. Interesting. Mm. So you did a, a random clinical trial, which is interesting for an organization like yours mm -hmm. to do, right? It was around uh, the COVID-19 mm -hmm. protocol. Tell us about that and what were the results? Yeah, uh, so I think this is, this is great. This is, you know, uh, cradle to grave, the whole, the whole thing. Uh -huh. um, I think just a bit of background, I think, uh, so we sit in the Center for uh, Healthcare Innovation and Delivery Science. Mm -hmm. um, and so the director of that center, Lyra Hortz, uh, also runs a little group called the Rapid RCT Lab. Okay. So they basically provide a function uh, a service to, to researchers that want to run small randomized controlled trials. Uh -huh. So they help with the sort of the planning, the logistics, you know, the registration on clinicaltrials.gov. Sure. Um, helping IRB. With the, they, exactly. <laughs> there's a lot of paperwork. Um, and so we worked with them on, on this, which was really great. And we'd been thinking about it for a long time, like we should really be doing more randomized controlled mm -hmm. trials, you know, having a lot more foresight into, okay, so we have a model, how we're going to use it, what's the intervention plan, um, what do we then expect the, the impact to be. Um, so with COVID, uh, you know, New York City was one of the first places to have a, have a, have a substantial sure. surge. Um, and so in sort of uh, around the middle of March, we started uh, developing a model and in only a couple of weeks we had a prototype. Wow. A couple more weeks we actually had that prototype implemented into Epic. Uh, as this kind of cloud-based model. We did some iteration, lots of clinical validation about like, do these uh, coefficients make sense? You know, are they pointing in the right direction? All mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and we ended up with this nice, simple, uh, sort of linear, linear model um, that was uh, 
surprisingly performant. So anyway, uh, because we were starting very fresh mm -hmm. and we didn't really have time to go through, say, user testing and sure. things like that. COVID kind of pushed everything. Right. <laughs> so, and COVID also opened a big door that uh, everything we were doing at that time was sort of off-label or experimental, depending on how you, how you cut it. Uh, so the AI was really no different. Mm -hmm. You know, almost every patient admitted was being considered for some trial or sure. several. Um, and so we were allowed, you know, we had sign-off um, on the research side and also from, say, uh, you know, the chief medical officers. Um, and so at all of our campuses when the score went live, it was, it was understood that half of the scores would be hidden um, and they would, they would be our control group. So the intervention had color-coded scores available mm -hmm. uh, and the control arm didn't. We knew what those scores were behind the scenes, which sure. is a, a big, make, you know, had to make sure they had their audit trail. Uh -huh. um, and so we could actually watch to see you know, what happened to these patients. Um, I, our hypothesis was that uh, patients that had a green score that were low risk, um, the clinical team would see that they're low risk and you know clinically agree that this patient was doing fairly well, um, you know, say so that they didn't need any significant oxygen requirement, um, mm -hmm. therapy, etc., uh, and they could potentially be discharged. Um, that was the goal. So the shorter, sure. shortening length of stay. Right. We, we were under you know significant surge conditions. We wanted to get people out the door. Yeah. We were hoping that the score would uh, would help with that. Um, so we went, the study started uh, May 15th, 2020, and it wrapped up after we uh, screened, um, sorry, enrolled over a thousand patients. Wow. That was our, um, our plan. But we had a very quiet summer in 2020 with, with COVID. Yep. So it really drew, uh, drew things out. Um, and I think it was uh, early December um, that we reached uh, 1,000. Okay. Um, and, you know, we, we had the data uh, sort of reports ready to go. We knew what we were looking for, so just waited for everybody to be discharged, mm -hmm. waited for people to be followed up. Uh, I ran those reports, the analysis shaked out. Um, so we were. What'd you find? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> unfortunately, no, no significant uh, decrease in length of stay after going green uh, or length of stay overall. Um, our safety indicators, you know, bad things that could have happened as a result of the score, mm -hmm. um, they were pretty much, they were unchanged as well. So it seems like the score being visible um, definitely didn't have any uh, negative effects, um, but it also maybe wasn't convincing enough. Mm. Um, we've run down a couple of hypotheses, like maybe the model lost its performance over time. Okay. Um, actually have data to suggest that, suggest that isn't the case. Um, even into the Delta variant in 2021, the model mm -hmm. was still accurate. Um, so I think it's more to do with the sort of last mile thing, like how many providers um, or clinicians actually knew about the score, right. they were actively searching for it. And we have some anonymized metrics sort of out of the box from Epic about how many people see the score. Okay. But we don't really know who those individuals are, mm. when, for which patients, how many times are duplicates. So we're really a little blind um, about where to continue that out outreach. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we did a, really the best we could at that time, reaching out to different clinical groups, mm -hmm. nurses, providers, you know, uh, department heads, things like that, that this thing existed, it works, we've got the institutional support to use it. I just don't, I think um, at that time, 
we were basically having daily COVID updates. Yeah. And even though we pushed really hard, I think it was just in a really busy time and, sure. and some people were, um, you know, it slipped through the cracks. So it could be an issue that, you know, the AI wasn't explainable, right? The score wasn't explainable in a way that a clinician could understand yeah. enough or, or, or maybe they didn't know, okay, if that score is green, then I should mm -hmm. do this versus red, do I do this? And, and maybe it's also just the culture of healthcare. Mm -hmm. We're afraid of liability. <laughs> no, I agree. And like we did what we could explanation wise. Sure. So like um, there's a, if you hover over the color-coded score, there's actually a little sort of pop-up bubble mm -hmm. that explains the patient's trend line, like if gotcha. they're getting worse, getting better. Why is it green? And it also explains up to 10 uh, different factors that went into the score. So you could see, say, if their platelets were high or low, if that was a good or a bad thing, as well as their eosinophils, you know, tangible stuff like that to try to surface some of that data. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, we don't have any indicator how many times people were using that functionality. Sure. Um, and also, if you hover over the, the column name, you, can, you do get a bit of an explanation about what the score was, what it means. You know, uh, if a patient is green, what that actually means, like on yeah, aggregate, like exactly. it means that they're mostly going to be fine. I just don't know if uh, we had, again, it's a really busy time sure. in COVID. I'm not sure people were feeling um, like they had spare time to try out a new tool. <laughs> yeah, no, that totally makes sense. A, a qualitative uh, analysis of that would be interesting. Yeah. Did they, how, how did they react? Did it even just give them some comfort mm. during this mm -hmm. challenging time, right? Which, I mean, I don't know how you measured that in a real study, mm. but, you know, I wonder if that was a, a factor for them and maybe gave them like, oh, they're green, okay, mm -hmm. I can stress mm -hmm. just a little less on this. Right. <laughs> you know, I, actually, thanks for that reminder. I, I wasn't involved in it, but, uh, uh, we had some collaborators do basically exactly that. Um, initially a survey and then also mm -hmm. some um, user interviews. And what they did find is people that could recall using the tool, they did feel more confident mm. that, um, that they sort of had basically a second read. Um, how exactly that manifests into the change in behavior sure. is difficult. Um, I think there's also lots of practical issues like uh, just because a patient is low risk doesn't mean that they actually have somewhere to go home to. Say so if they're still testing positive, they're still infectious, they can't go back to a nursing home. Sure. Or they have an elderly parent at home, they just want to stay a couple more days. Right. Sort of like practical discharge planning, things like mm -hmm. that. Um, it's really hard considering how an AI will work to actually knock all those things down as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, and you know, we all want to, you know, decrease length of stay and increase revenue and all sorts of things like that. But these days, uh, you know, our clinicians are so burnt out mm -hmm. that, you know, a factor that gives them some comfort, mm -hmm. reduces their burnout is, is a good thing. Now it's hard to measure. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's the challenge. So let's talk about like, what is your process from doing research mm -hmm. into something like this or, you know, any other AI machine learning project you're doing, analytics project, you know, you do the research on your side. How do you push it then into practice, you know, and get it implemented in Epic or whatever system mm -hmm. you might be using? Yeah, so the team that I'm part of, the, the predictive analytics unit, um, we handle the development, the validation, and also the actual sort of implementation uh, deployment piece. So mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to sort of what we're working on, we have um, a wide variety of stakeholders that come to us with ideas, you know, clinical leadership, operational leadership. 
um, also you know individual say nurse leaders like in, in the case of that COVID model um, and so we, then we sort of work with them about what's important how you want this thing to work what kind of data do you think is important um, and we you know develop our data like that so that's the sort of practical steps of making the thing um, when it comes to deploying uh, we are sort of the central team that works with uh, whichever app team sort of owns that piece of Epic. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, with COVID, that was um, you know inpatient orders um, for the my chart messaging thing. I just mentioned that's our ambulatory. Okay. Um, and so those app teams, you know, they are used to building the records out. They're used to building the integration. You know how users see things, and so we leave that to them as the as the experts. Um, but the piece in the middle that's sort of common is the, the predictive model build. Mm -hmm. And so we actually do that. Um, and so, you know, we have epic uh, access to actually build some of these records ourselves. We upload the model. Um, so it's, it's really great that we can do some of that. And then there's also a sort of a second check um, from the app team, and because we're you know a few models into this now, <laughs> uh, you know we have local experts that work for an app team, mm -hmm. but they also know how these models work. Mm -hmm. They know what's needed. They can really sort of help train other analysts and expedite things, um, which is which is really cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing all these insights and perspectives. I, you know, I think we all want this to happen, but to hear how much work goes into it, I think we forget how much work there is in researching it, implementing it, rolling it out in the products, changing the culture. Like everyone's like, oh, just apply AI to it, and you're like, eh, it's a more complex than that. And I think you you gave us some good insights and perspectives into that. So thanks so much. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcasting application. Thanks, Vincent.